tabletop gaming and D&D in particular is a combination of really strict and rigid rules about everything under the sun, but also a little bit of chaos because we can't, we can't control everything. And the chaos makes it sort of fun, but not terrifying. Episode 39, Dungeons and Dragons is Autistic. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. So, so excited! Today's going to be a really fun day. And uh, in case, I don't know uh, if people listen to the headers or if they hit skip intro like they do on Netflix, but uh, I'm going to start off today with one of my best dice because uh, uh, I, I am a dice goblin. I, I have many, many different dice. These are all my best D20s. So this is my favorite set of dice. This is my best set of dice because it's all metal and forged. And I have so many- clearly we could do a whole dice episode. I oh, can see. Oh yes, <laughs> and uh, I actually have more than this. But my son is a bigger dice goblin than I am. And whenever he sees dice that he likes, he takes them. And I occasionally don't see them for a very long time. So these are all the hidden dice that I've hidden around my office that uh, he doesn't know where they are. And this, I, I want to introduce everyone to my giant solid metal glow-in-the-dark D100. And it, You know, I actually think you introduced that to our listeners once before. It made a special appearance, I think, in the segment, What Do You Love About Being Autistic? Oh, yes. yes. In an earlier episode. So this is a reintroduction this episode is by special request from our fans. So this is a love letter to our Dungeons and Dragons fans out there. But if if this is your first episode, go back and listen to other ones and maybe you can meet more of Matt's dice and collectibles. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we get to meet many of Matt's collectibles on this show. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love showing off the museum and I love showing off the horde. And for, for, the, for the fans... 
we are going to do a special thing today because I'm going to use my special gold die, my gold D20, and we are going to do a history check because we are going to see how accurate the history is today. And we are... It's an 18. Ooh, an 18. 18. So that's that's actually pretty good. So there will be apparently very little nonsense that comes out of today. So that's, right. that is that is on point. So we, we are going to explore the very, very rich autistic history of Dungeons and Dragons. Because out of any game or franchise that exists... We Dungeons and Dragons is possibly one of the most autistic ever. Uh, and whether you know it from actually playing it or you know it from, you know, uh, your parents being very, very concerned about it in the 80s uh, or if you've just seen Stranger Things, uh, there, there is a lot of stuff to talk about today. But I want to start off with one of the apocryphal tales of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, mm. let, let us talk about the, the story, the tale of Eric and the Dread Gazebo. Okay. This is uh, an apocryphal tale that uh, apparently likely happened. In the early 70s, Ed Whitchurch ran his game, and one of the participants was Eric Sorensen. Eric plays something like a, like a computer, when he games, he methodically considers each possibility before choosing his preferred option, much like we do with our, you know, bottom-up processing and playing chess. If given time, he will invariably pick the optimal solution. It has been known to take weeks. He is otherwise, in all respects, a superior gamer. Eric was playing a natural paladin in Ed's game. He was on some lord's lands when the following exchange occurred. <clears throat> You see a well-groomed garden. In the middle, on a small hill, you see a gazebo. A gazebo? What color is it? It's white, Eric. How far away is it? About 50 yards. How big is it? Um, it's about 30 feet across, 15 feet high with a pointed top. I use my sword to detect good on it. it it's not good, Eric. It's a gazebo. I call out to it. It, it won't answer. It's a gazebo. It's a gazebo. Uh, I, I seize my sword and draw my bow and arrows. Does it respond in any way? No, Eric, it's a gazebo. I shoot it with my bow. Rolls to hit. What happened? There is now a uh, gazebo with an arrow sticking out of it. <laughs> Wasn't it wounded? Of course not, Eric. It's a gazebo. But it was a plus three arrow. It's a gazebo, Eric. A gazebo. If you really want to try to destroy it, you could try to chop it with an axe, I suppose. Or you could try to burn it, but I don't know why anyone would even try. It's a freaking gazebo. Hmm, I have no axe or fire spells. I run away. It's too late. You've awakened the gazebo. It catches you and eats you. And Eric reaches the for his dice. gazebo monster! <laughs> Maybe I'll roll a fire using mage so I can avenge my paladin. At this point, the increasingly amused fellow party members restored a modicum of order by explaining to Eric what a gazebo is. Thus ends the tale of Eric and the dread gazebo. It could have been worse. At least the gazebo wasn't on a grassy knoll. <laughs> and and I actually don't think that ends the story because I don't know if you've ever played the card game Munchkin, which we should probably <laughs> also autistic. I love that game. But the gazebo monster is 
in the card game month. I wonder if that uh, came from this because this was back in the 70s. Uh, it a hundred percent did. That yeah, Munchkin is, is so autistic. That is fantastic, yeah. uh, and that's oh, so. This is the big thing about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so games of dice have uh, been tracked back to uh, dice using animal bones dating to five thousand BC, and six sided dice have been dated back to three thousand BC. But uh, the icosahedral die, the D20, uh, has been around since around 300 BC, around the time of Ptolemy. And so it is thought that the original D20s were a means of divination because uh, each of the 20 sides would have like letters on them that would equate to prophecies and you could ask a question and roll the die and see what the gods had in store for you was it like like when you see ruins like the symbols yes. on the ah, yeah i didn't know that. so, so okay, these were sense. all about divination but it was uh later repurposed for war gaming and uh, if if anybody know because again you know chess is effectively wargaming. You've got two sides with, you know, specific soldiers and all this stuff. If anybody here plays Warhammer or, oh man, there's there's hundreds of them. Uh, my newest game that I've got is a thing called Horrified with classic universal monsters where you have to fight uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Bride of Frankenstein, the Mummy, uh, the Creature from the Black Lagoon, the Wolfman, all that sort of stuff. So these games have been around for many, many, many hundreds of years, right? Uh, but uh, the modern war game traces back to a 1913 work by H.G. Wells entitled Little Wars, a game for boys of 12 years of age to 150, and for that more intelligent sort of girl who likes boys' games and books, all capitalized. That's me. H.G. Wells thinks I'm that more intelligent sort of girl. Yeah, I'll I'll copy that Thanks. and uh, put that in the show notes because I I love the. Uh, oh man, I can't. Uh, I have to pop this out because I can't do two things at once. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a great great uh, title, and uh, I'm assuming a great great book because again, this this is where he decided that he was going to take his son's toy soldiers and made up a game where they had an imaginary battlefield and took turns maneuvering them for tactical advantage. And he had a great set of rules because you know what kind of people loves rules? I know what kind of people. Hello, autistic culture. We see you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and this is a thing because tabletop gaming and D&D in particular is a combination of really strict and rigid rules about everything under the sun, but also a little bit of chaos because That's we can't we can't control everything and the chaos makes it sort of fun but not terrifying so you can't see this if you're listening to oh, the yeah. audio but when he's saying chaos he's holding up that dice with 20 sides the d20 oh yeah and, and the maxi chaos with the disco ball d100 D one hundred. That is oh, too yeah. much chaos that, for me. Let's yeah, stick is, to twenty. Yeah, plus this is this weighs like ninety pounds. It's made of like solid tungsten, and you know it crushes toes. So this is much more easy to play with. So yes. so uh, this this D twenty. Uh, so there there was this guy, and you may have heard of him. His father was a suit salesman and violinist, and he made up bedtime stories for his child. Fantastic stories about 
heroes with magic rings and invisibility cloaks. And, oh. and this kid uh, did not care for school. He preferred to play hooky and go explore the system of tunnels underneath the old Oak Hill Sanitarium, an abandoned insane asylum near a lake. And when you have the option of going to school or exploring, I don't know, let's say a dungeon, as if you are crawling through a dungeon, doing a dungeon crawl, if it were, uh, in the 1950s, you don't really have, you know, it. there's no real choice there. So uh, this guy named Gary Gygax, he wanted to be the hero of his own life. He said, there's a call to adventure. It's something in the inner psyche of humanity, particularly males. I hated school. I didn't like it. Uh, and he dropped out his junior year. He was a gigantic fan of uh, a, a man which we know uh, who invented Conan the Barbarian. Oh, we've talked about him on another episode too. Oh yes, uh, he, he was a a gigantic fan uh, of uh, Robert E. Howard. He was a big <laughs> fan of the sword and sorcery. He was not a big fan of Lord of the Rings. He he did not like Frodo. <laughs> okay, but uh, again, to each their respect own. Respect that. But but again, he that. had a, a gigantic love of swashbuckling adventure. He was a big fan of rules. He loved uh, all of the the world that uh, Conan brought. So mm -hmm. he decided that he was going to create a game. So his first game that he created was uh, actually a, a game called, uh, let's see here, Chainmail. And okay. again, it was a a variation of previous tabletop games where each person, it was, it was a variation of the war games at the time. But he said, what happened instead of, you know, controlling armies, you put all of those hit points into one super cool character and you could have a little superhero, much like Conan the Barbarian on the table and your character could go through battles and fight monsters and do swords and sorcery and uh, all, all of this sort of neat stuff. And uh, somebody named uh, 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 Armisen, uh, man, I lost where I was. I, I moved the mouse and then all of a sudden my notes changed. But, but this is where he decided to create the first version of Dungeons and Dragons. And the first version of Dungeons and Dragons uh, had a lot of tables. So you could look through tables in a system of multiple six-sided dice. But the problem with six-sided dice is that they, they tend to have a probability curve. And if you roll them, eventually you're not going to get an even distribution of things. So at first he decided, let's put 20 different poker chips in a hat and you could draw out one of 20 different poker chips. Okay. But okay. then, then he, dis this is gonna end up. he discovered mm -hmm. the icosahedron, the 20 sided die, the D20. And when it. this happened, everything changed because instead of going through these clunky methods uh, of finding a way or these unreliable methods or, you know, all this stuff you could just roll and uh, either, you know, go anywhere from a critical hit to a critical failure. A, a 16. Again, that's fairly oh. good. So, so he... Okay, so at this point inventing this, we've got like some sort of history deep dives. Oh, we've yes. got 
which, you know, we know libraries and part of autistic culture is doing deep dives on historic times in history. So we've got that special interest. Then we've got these uh, rules and Mm -hmm. like elaborate interconnected rules that we that go with like our pattern matching. That's such a big part of our culture. Then we've got these charts and statistics and probability, that whole side of things. And then all of a sudden you moved into geometry, which was kind of an interesting twist in all of this. What do you, what stands out for you at this point as like some key features of autistic culture that are in the fiber of the creation of Dungeons and Dragons? That is this is a so so that leads to why the game was initially rejected by publishers before eventually getting bought by TSR, who was bought by Wizards Too of the Coast, who was bought by Hasbro. Yes, uh, and I will put that, and you can read this. Oh, okay. Uh, Gigax, our our creator here, was forced to self-release the first edition because companies couldn't wrap their heads around a game that has no winner. Winning, of course, is not what Dungeons and Dragons is about. It's a game of relationships and the sense of camaraderie that comes from getting together with friends and solving problems using only your wits and imagination. Because this is the this is the thing that makes Dungeons and Dragons a part of autistic culture. We live in a world that is notoriously difficult for us to socialize in. We, 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 it's difficult for us to meet like-minded people. It's difficult for us to maintain relationships with the stresses of work and family and all of this other stuff. But this gives us a structure. This gives Mm. us a safe place where we can be ourselves, where we can be other people, where we can bond with people, where we can have a ritual of getting together once a week and spending lots of time eating snacks and socializing in a safe and effective way where we all know the rules of socialization, where we all know the expectations of socialization, where we all know what we are going to do and how we are going to do it, which makes it incredibly appealing for our people. But this mm-hmm. is the thing. This is the reason why Neurotypicals rejected Dungeons & Dragons, because uh, I've included a link in the show notes to a recent study that uh, this is groundbreaking stuff. Uh, a recent study shows that screen time is beneficial for autistic people yep. as opposed to being harmful for neurotypical people because we don't use screens the same way that they do. Yes. Neurotypical people use social media as a means of comparison against other people and therefore they feel stressed out because they don't look like other people or they don't right. have the stuff that other people that. exactly right. yeah they say oh that person is skinny that or that person has i don't know a big car or whatever but we get together in order to socialize and say hey you want to see my dice and we say oh those are cool dice you want to see my dice yes i would and then we share our stuff and we come together and again it's very easy to play games online with each other where it's a good place to socialize that we have rules we have uh, uh rationales we have expectations online and this is why socializing online is good for us and socializing in a DD setting is good for us As always, this podcast is free and it will remain free, but we do now have a paid subscription over on our Substack page, which we wanted to tell you about. 
It includes lots of extras like private Q&A calls with Matt and I, our book club with our favorite book picks and discounts in our Tee Public store. You can check out all the goodies over on our Substack page at autisticculture.substack.com. But and this is the thing because in Dungeons and Dragons you don't compete against other people you you fight against monsters and the Demogorgon and Tiamat and all of these fantastic creatures together and this is a big thing we're going to get to this uh, in a little bit because I'm going to tell you the story about uh, the longest running D and D campaign in history and mm. this is this is why people bond because you get together and you create this world and you live in it and it's real. And Mm -hmm. uh, recently, uh, there has been a canonically autistic D&D character. And this is is an interview with Mackenzie de Armas, the uh, non-binary autistic creator of this autistic character. Uh, Okay, I decided to come out as autistic because I wanted people to know that those people were wrong. Dermas told Polygon. This feels like a wonderful next step for me and for making this game really reflective of all the wonderful, amazing people who play it. And this is recent. This like yeah. just happened. Yeah, right? and and uh, I, I make a mistake. Uh, Meg Leach is the non-binary director. This person is uh, female. But uh, yeah, uh, she she created Asteria and said that she can find empowerment through her neurodivergence, not in spite of it. And uh, Mm. Asteria is part of the Deck of Many Things and the Book of Many Things, a recent new addition to 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. And this is a reason why, you know, she, as an autistic person, finds uh, kinship through Dungeons & Dragons. This is a quote from Meg Leach, the non-binary autistic person. Okay. My first character was a halfling death cleric with a mummified squirrel as a familiar. Charisma was her lowest stat. (laughs) Okay. And I love that she was more comfortable talking to dead people than her friends at the party. Same girl. Her social weaknesses were vital to her character and served as a place where I could find meaning for my own awkwardness. Yeah. yeah, her and, social weaknesses were vital to her character. Yeah, yeah, and, and this is a thing because in Dungeons and Dragons, you can be anything. Uh, ideally, I would be a dragonborn cleric because I love some dragons and I love uh, protecting the earth because you know it, that's that's my thing. Uh, protecting the earth, protecting my people, protecting who we are from you know. You're very dragony, Matt. Very. I don't think you need to explain it. Yeah. I think we all know you're a dragon. <laughs> my horde yeah yeah yeah. exactly it's clear yeah and and this is the thing uh people who are autistic don't have to worry about misunderstanding intentions or sarcasm because we can do an insight check we can find the speaker's intentions uh we we don't have to worry about being suave or convincing we can do a charisma role we can uh do deception roles we can we can take all of these factors into our own hands and have a tangible way to interact with our environment. Whereas in the real world, we don't have access to any of this. I mean, it's just as chaotic as rolling the die, but we don't have control over it. And this is a reason why a lot of autistic people gravitate towards this. And a new game, Critical Core, 
has been designed specifically as a, a, a game to help autistic kids socialize through D and D. And again, oh. it takes all of these things that make us who we are. All of these ex, all of these. Again, we operate from the social model of disability, where if we lived in autistica, we would be fine. So you can put the rules of autistica into play in a D and D campaign, and all of these people can use all of these things that are perceived as a weakness in the neurotypical world and use it as a strength. For instance, like someone who can't make eye contact might be best friends with a Medusa. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you never make eye contact with Medusa. You never get turned right. to stone. So, or, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, a lot of people might have difficulty with face-to-face contact, with immediate uh, communication because a lot of people have situational mutism. But again, if you have a script to go by, if you say, ah, yes, I roll a perception check or, you know, attack the unsightly gazebo, you're able to interact in a way that the real world doesn't afford you. It's a nice sandbox to find yourself and find other people and have these relationships. And yeah. uh, so again, Meg, uh, this is another uh, quote from Meg. I can seemingly talk for hours when I run a gaming session. I am able to follow narrative twists and turns with an agility that I rarely have outside of the game. While each session is mentally exhausting, as it is even for neurotypical dungeon masters, I manage to keep pace with uh, with six other players. These days, when I feel overwhelmed at parties or in loud settings, I remind myself that socializing is a skill I've developed. D&D has helped me build an interpersonal toolkit and a social stamina that I never had before. How great is that? Exactly. And, and this is why a lot of autistic people feel that safety in, in a dungeon. And this mm-hmm. is where we come to the story of Robert A. Wardoff. He is a Canadian historian known as the host of the longest uninterrupted Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And it has been going on for 41 years since 1982. He is a professor at the University of Western Ontario. He is an author of several books on Canadian political history. And uh, he has put in over 20,000 hours on this campaign. He, He has said... When I was buying a house, the most important aspect was getting a gaming space that I could use. He typically spends two to four hours a day painting figs, and he has over 30,000 figures with endless terrain. And uh, this is uh, how he he describes how people interact with his figures, because uh, everyone who does, uh, you know, models know. Uh, I I personally love painting figures. This is a Jareth figure from Labyrinth that I'm currently working on, and the people okay, on YouTube can Matt's see it. Okay, Matt's holding it up, and, uh, yeah, if I've, you're watching. I've got uh, dozens and dozens of little model paints, and uh, if anyone on YouTube is watching, this is my hedgehog of paintbrushes. Oh, I, we've, you've shown the hedgehog before. Oh, I love yes. the hedgehog. Yes. Love uh, the hedgehog. That's real good. So this is uh, his quote about... Uh, how people interact with his figs. Nobody's actually allowed to touch the figs on the table. A person who played D&D would probably come to my table and they would immediately reach over and grab their fig. And I'm probably going to growl at them and say, don't touch the figs because I have to move everything. 
So, so yeah, this guy uh, is very, very serious. Uh, he started off with the rules of uh, the, the first handbook, but uh, went to a homebrew, homebrew rule style because, again, that was how D&D was created. It was a guideline, not specific. Uh, Hasbro has recently been more draconian in the rules and homebrew brew adaptations and that kind of stuff because, again, Hasbro is run by neurotypicals who really want to make a lot of money instead of make a society. Society. But uh, he he talks about how his game is vast and incorporates not only Middle Earth but also the rules of Conan the Barbarian because he is also ah. a Conan fan. And wow, he, okay. he includes a fantasy version of historical Earth where you can choose from any pre-gunpowder society, including Ro- Romans, Greeks, Celtics, Norse, Indigenous, Aztec, Mayan, Incan, Scythian, Persian, Arabic, Japanese, Chinese, Mongolian, African, Babylonian, Sumerian, Phoenician, Assyrian, Slavic, Frankish, and Spanish. Woo-hoo. So he he has uh, he he has uh, a lot of. Uh, and Hyboria from uh, Conan and Middle Earth. So, do we know how many people have participated in oh, this game? Oh yes. Uh, let's see here. His he has had over. Uh, let's see here. Over the years, he's had over five hundred characters uh, in his games and uh, generational story arcs, thousands of subplots and sub campaigns going on. So, and the big thing is that these people who are playing for decades. The, they they operate because if your character dies, your character dies. Mm. So if their character dies, grown men weep at the table because this oh, character sure. they've lived with for years and has aged in real time is suddenly lost forever. But the, of course, you know, they can create a new character, but that doesn't change the fact. Yeah, that this, yeah, yeah, but... In yeah. world building, you've still lost that character. Yeah, and he he says that uh, when his daughter was just an infant, she was very interested, and she is now an adult, and she continues to play, and she brings her significant others over, and they play, and he has a rule that just because she might break up with them doesn't mean that they're ejected from the game. So Whoa. a few of her exes are still players, and she plays with them. That. He says that That's awesome. he, he identifies this as a plank, a way to maintain relationships with friends because uh, he started this in the 80s or 90s, back in the height of the satanic panic, where everyone uh-huh. says that uh, they say, oh, these kids are quote unquote obsessed with D&D because again, mm-hmm. the people who are drawn to D&D have the monotropic focus. And they say, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, first year I played was like 1985. Oh, yeah. And um, my mom was 100% sure it was a satanic cult. Yeah. And I was playing with all boys, obviously, because it's also for intelligent girls, as we've learned earlier. A little worse. Uh, yeah. A little worse shout out, call back. Um, but yeah, my mom called. So it was Matt and John were the two guys I played with and she called them Satanists and I wasn't allowed to see them. So I would sneak out in the night to go play Dungeons and Dragons in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, because we need it. That's that's the way we socialize. That is the basis for us. And of course, people just did not understand that. We love hearing from our listeners, so head over to this episode on Substack and leave us your comment. It's autisticculture, all one word, dot substack.com. 
That's autisticculture.substack.com. There, there was the made-for-TV movie, Mazes uh, and Monsters with Tom Hanks, where he couldn't oh, yeah. tell uh, fiction from reality. And uh, have you ever heard of Chick Tracks? No. Oh, Teach I, me. I collect them. Uh, so this, this evangelical named Jack Chick made these teeny tiny little comic strips in book form and evangelicals would leave them all over the place to tell you exactly in great detail why you're going to hell and they're little Mm. comic strips and they would say oh yes you like gay people well clearly you're going to hell oh yeah you you uh you stayed out too late you're going to hell and there is one of the most famous ones was dark dungeons where people (laughs) who got involved with rpgs of course, we're going to hell. And recently, uh, someone made Dark Dungeons into a movie with and got the approval of Jack Chick because Jack Chick does not understand irony, which is ironic. And and they played it completely straight to the source material. And, you know, with, with a giant chant of RPG, RPG at a satanic rally. And it is... It is without a doubt one of the most hilarious pieces of satire that has been ever committed to film. Please, please, please check it out. The the acting, not Oscar worthy, but again, with the material that they're given, it is chef's kiss because right. they, they very, very much commit to Dungeons and Dragons and your D20 being a gateway to hell. So yeah. it is... It is fantastically self-aware. Jack Chick was not. Um, mm. But yeah, th- but this is the thing. We we have, this is how we related. And again, because of ableist in society, anything we do is inherently wrong because we are not like them and we don't do the things that they do. And they are going to find reasons to criticize anything we do for us being different from them. And this whole satanic panic thing was just an ablest reason to condemn us for doing things as we do it. Um, but but thankfully, in the modern day, uh, things have gotten much, much better for us. Uh, Stranger Things has picked it up and made it incredibly mainstream. Uh, one of my... Fi- so wait, I need you to clarify on Stranger Things for me because I actually haven't seen it. Um, oh. How does it... I know it's like an 80s throwback, but I just haven't seen the show. How does Dungeons & Dragons appear? Do they play? That they Well, that's the thing. Not only do they play uh, Dungeons & Dragons, but it's permeated It's permeated throughout the entire run of the show. So the, oh. they, they all meet because they're outcasts, they're nerdy, potentially autistic, queer they 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 use dungeons and dragons as a means to socialize but when the monsters start appearing they name the monsters after dungeons and dragons characters like the first season big bad is the demogorgon which is a dungeons and dragons monster Uh, the second and i believe third season monster is the mind flayer and that is a dungeons and dragon monster and when you get to uh finding out the i don't know if we need spoiler alerts so the the big bad of the, the most recent season who does significant things to the town of Hawkins uh, is also Thank based you. on a Dungeons and Dragons character. And okay. yeah. And, and one of the, one of the characters that is a fan favorite, Eddie Munson, uh, 
uh, was highly criticized because the most recent season was all about the satanic panic and parents getting very, very upset that this older guy, Eddie Munson, was playing with, you know, young high school kids and listening to rock and roll and playing Metallica because, oh my God, what a horrible person he must be. And of mm-hmm. course, he has a heart of gold and if he loves to play D&D and he loves the adventure and it shows exactly why this appeals to so many people because of the camaraderie, because of this freedom to inhabit this world. And it gives the kids the strength to fight all these monsters because they, they've already mentally done it. They, they say, ah, yes, these are terrible monsters with terrible odds. What choice do we have? Let's go into battle. So Stranger Things, the series, is essentially Dungeons and Dragons, the series. So Mm -hmm. although there already was a Dungeons and Dragons series, which ran in the 80s, which also caused a lot of satanic panic, even though it was a cartoon. Uh That's a whole other thing. Uh, And there's a a string of movies. The most recent one was actually pretty good. But there, there was like three movies... Anyway, but yeah, Stranger Things has brought it back into the mainstream. And I, I really, really recommend people checking it out. And it's caused a resurgence in gaming because people see Stranger Things and say, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like monsters. And fun fact, uh, they they did the uh, the casting of E.T. around a game of Dungeons and & Dragons. And Dungeons & Dragons appears in E.T. because Harrison Ford and Steven Spielberg were playing Dungeons & Dragons with the kids they were uh, casting. Yes, I did know that. I did know that. That's a good one. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I I encourage everyone to research Spencer Crittenden, who is a a great, great dungeon master, very autistic. He is a, a friend to Dan Harmon. And when Dan Harmon was doing his Harmontown podcast, one day Spencer Crittenden decides to pack up all of his dice and his, uh, you know, manuals and everything because he says you know this dan Harmon fellow seems like someone that i would enjoy meeting i'm going to go down to his podcast and ask if he wants to play dungeons and dragons and when he went down to the podcast coincidentally that night just as a complete coincidence dan Harmon said hey is there anybody in the audience who plays dungeons and dragons i would like to get into that and spencer crittenden says i do and from that point forward, Dungeons and Dragons became a permanent part of the Harmontown podcast, and it spun off into the Harmon Quest web series, where uh, Dan Harmon, Spencer Crittenden, and celebrities sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons, and their adventure is animated. So you see the characters as they, in the theater of the mind's eye, because this is a big thing about us. It's not just moving pieces around a Monopoly board. It's a vivid adventure in the theater of the mind. And mm. this this represents that, and it shows exactly how big and how grand all these things are. And Spencer represents the epitome of the Dungeon Master because he... He, he knows all of the rules. He operates by the rules, but he also has enough flexibility to go wherever the players go because you have to anticipate whatever level of chaos the players might bring to your game. If they decide, oh, instead of fighting this monster, we're going to go out and eat some apples. Okay, well, we have to plan for that. Well, but what if the apples are a monster? Oh my God, we have to fight that monster. What happens if this? What happens if this? What happens if this? And he's an expert at navigating that and coming up with stuff on the fly and challenging people and and doing this great, great world building. And if you watch him in action, watch the documentary Dharma, 
Harmontown. Watch the Harmon Quest web series. Listen to the Harmontown podcast. He is one of the finest examples of dungeon masters. And again, these are all skills that we've already said can be useful in the real world in order to navigate unknown situations and play with chaos as it comes because you've developed these skills in a safe environment. I love that. I want I want to relate it to a concept um, that's been something that is hard for me as a reader or even less so with D&D, and I'll explain why, and that's aphantasia. Ooh, ooh, that's a big one. I I am a nonfiction reader, and a big part of why I read not... I I read some fiction, but a big part of why is I don't have a picture things in your mind's eye gene, and a lot of fiction sort of requires to enjoy it that you can imagine the scene. So for me, one of the things I've always liked about D&D is you can say to your especially if you have a good DM, you'd say to your DM, what is that? Like, tell me more about that feature or that trait or that thing, whatever that thing is. Um, Because I don't know, I can't picture it. That's what I love about the gazebo story. I'm like, okay, what is it? I mean, in that case, I think he didn't know what a gazebo was, but still. Um, So I just want to talk about aphantasia and occurrence within autistic people. I don't know if you know anything around that. And then also... I have complete mind blindness. It's horrible. Can't picture anything. But I also have some synesthesia. Yeah, yeah. And so that, just to like mix it up. So, <laughs> so. So, so these kind of things are, are stuff that don't get enough attention because Temple Grandin has decided to dominate the conversation. Uh, please no, check I out our Temple Grandin episode. I do not think in pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah see she, her temple to episode 23. Yeah, she, she claims that we all think in pictures because we're all nope. autistic, but no, it's, it's her. And some people do <laughs> think in pictures, some people don't. And synesthesia is especially common because of our hyperconnected brains. And mm. this is this is the reason why, you know, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, because our brains are, while we are all hyperconnected, no two brains are hyperconnected in the same way. So we have synesthesia, we have aphantasia, we have visual thinking, we have all of these things that are fairly common, but not necessarily together. And this is oh, why... And fa- if, what's the face blindness one? Uh, oh, oh uh, affin- no, no. Aphantasia uh, is like when you can't picture something and face blindness is, oh man. I know, it's, it, I know it, it. It'll pop up like it's, in five minutes and we'll pro, have to like, pro, pros, oh, pros, no, pros, pros, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all connected to the same part. And like D and D spells it out for you. If, yeah. if any of those things are happening for you, it won't be affected. It won't affect the gameplay. Yeah, and that's the thing. Because D&D has these little miniatures, you don't have to imagine. You can, but you can say, oh, yes, Jareth definitely looks like this. Or, you know, the Demogorgon definitely looks like this. You have character sheets with your own character if you don't have a miniature. I loved those character sheets. And that's some of the work that a DM does. Like a dungeon master has a big job. Exactly. Like that is a huge job. The dungeon master is the god of the world that you play in and responsible for. And again, like we're talking about, you know, with the longest running uh, game with all of these thousands of figs that, you know, he is responsible for creating not just the characters, but also the armies that you must face. All the background characters, all of the creatures, all of the 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 walk on characters, uh, all the extras. 
all of these things. And that's, and this is the neat thing because we live in such a wonderful age where you can create your own minis uh, with a 3D printer. You can create literally anything that you want and make it into reality, then paint it up and then go and say, ah, yes, my character is half snake, half moose, and half goblin. And, you know, it's my, my character is Mr. 150. And, it's you you could do anything it's really really cool yeah super cool i do love that we love sharing stories of autistic culture and if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowerylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy Matt. Do we want to describe a little bit uh, what some of those things are? So we talked about uh, aphantasia is not being able to picture things. But yeah, yeah, you can create anything and it's, it's, it's limited only by your imagination. And it's, it's, it's so, so cool that in a world where we have so many restrictions, even like the, a lot of autistic people have difficulty with mobility. You can create a character mm. where that is incorporated. A lot of autistic yeah. people, again, if you can't make eye contact, your character might be blind. Uh, you know, you can take that anything that you are and turn it into a character. Yeah, I think the thing going back to the hyperconnected brain is that is a maybe a turn off for some holistic people, but is a huge turn on for us is the level of detail and customization. Oh, yes. And I know that even the way this shows up in my life or my business, like I'll just talk about trip planning. Yeah. If I'm planning a trip, I will have to identify what is every single thing I could do, every single time permutation. Like if I want to go to sunrise, like that has to be at sunrise. And then there's this many days and which days are the, so like permutations and number of com, uh, combinations of things, which is maybe a little mathy pattern matchy is actually delightful to me. Oh, like yes. I can see all of the combinations and then identify the most optimal one. I recently planned a trip to Italy and I spent months planning every possible permutation. And then on the trip, literally everything was perfect. It was the best time and the be best version of everything. And holistic people do not delay in the planning for me was more fun than the trip. The trip was amazing. Planning no. was more fun because it's like puzzle it's like puzzle, uh, pu puzzle creation and yeah. solving at the same time. The, those so I think for a lot of people, they're like, get to the game, get to the game. Who's going to win? What, you know, why Hasbro didn't want to, what's the, what's the objective when it's over? It's that co-creation with all the permutations and picking the optimal one for you in that moment. Like, do I want to experience myself as blind? Cause that might be fun. 
or do I want to experience myself as someone who maximizes that? Like you can, any permutation you want. I don't feel like in autistic culture is overwhelming. I feel like it's welcomed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a bug. It's a feature. And this yeah. is this is a big thing because and I feel like people tell me to shut up a lot, like all the sticks in my life when I'm trip planning. Cause I'm like, we could do this, 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 and this, or we could do this, 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 and this, or we could do this, this. And they're like, okay, can we skip to the good part? Which one are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is the good part. Yeah. E- every every major gamer that I know loves the intricacies and loves learning about the world and the weapons and the characters and the abilities and how you can level up and which branch you can use to level up. And it's it's fantastic. It's a playground for us. We love the yeah. details. My husband is amazing at explaining rules of a game. Like I love here and any sort of like dungeon master role in any game he always takes and crushes. It's his zone of genius. Um, But I can't tell you how often we are playing with non-gamers who we force to play with us just because sometimes you need more players. And like we basically keep guns in our house to hold them to people's heads to play board games with us pretty much. We don't actually have guns, P.S., but it feels like that. And they're always like, well, let's just start playing and then we'll see. Like, can we Ooh. can we just start playing? And we're like watching video. We're like, the playing is the, like, let's talk about the game. Let's talk about the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do not enjoy it as much. They're like, can we, let's just play and then we'll see. Let's just start playing. Let's just start playing. That, huh. That's chaos. <laughs> chaos. <laughs> Then we're going to play with you and you're not going to know what you're doing. That sounds like no fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't do that. You're a barbarian. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's no mind reading for you, sir. No. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah, I I think that, uh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons and uh, tabletop games and all of these worlds that we can just really, really dive into. And that's, that's how we form bonds and that's how... That's how we maintain friendships, and this is this is a big thing for us. So, I I I think that uh, uh, more people should check it out and uh, see what it's like, and get very very invested in all sorts of neat stuff. Because I again, uh, I think it's my jam. So hopefully you'll enjoy it too. Yeah, a lot of our I've been talking to a lot of listeners lately. And by the way, if you have thoughts on the show, you can message us at info at autistic culture podcast and share those with us. Um, We love hearing from our listeners, but um, it's it's a real mix of autistic people and people who love autistic people. And I think if you're autistic and you're one of the many people who requested this episode, it's fun to talk about our special interests and passions. But if you're here and you're like, why is my child or my spouse so obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons? Like, why am I a D&D widow? And why do they think about this even when they're not playing? Is understanding the magic of world building is a big part of understanding and respecting autistica and autistic culture. Very much so. So So. on that note, uh, Hey Angela, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? My goodness. I usually prepare an answer and I don't have an answer for you, but let me think of one right now. Uh, I, I, am super sensitive to sound 
I, I'm like a, in the in in the spectrumy spectrum. I tend to be sensory avoidant in most of the senses. I think there's one where I'm sensory seeking, but generally, I'm on the sensory avoidant side of things. And I just got an amazing pair. It was actually an anniversary gift. So it was my eighth wedding anniversary a couple of days ago, and I got an amazing pair of uh, noise canceling earphones that I am delighted about, but they're like ear buddy. And I, the problem I have with like the ones that you stick in your ears, as opposed to like over the ears is my ears are super sensitive, like in addition to being sensitive to sound. So I usually can't wear them and they had extra small tips. And then this super nice little cushiony thing that makes them stay in and they don't bother me. Nice. So, and it was like an expensive purchase. It's hard to buy things especially like expensive things that you can't return when you're like, I don't know if this will work for me is probably like a wait and they actually work. So, um, and they were, uh, I didn't get the loop ones. I know is that loop? That's the brand everybody's into. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, so. The, I, I like them. I can't person? sleep in them. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like them. I think that they're effective. I tried to sleep in them, but, uh, they, they end up hurting over, you know, yeah. for like eight hours. So. I got, I slept in mine last night and the night before they stayed in all night. They didn't bother me. It was amazing. Um, and I'm, we'll see how it goes, but I am on a noise cancellation journey, which I'm delighted about, especially during what we are coming up to. I think as a Kentuckian, you might understand this, but we are a couple days away from the beginning of duck hunting season. Oh boy. This is my least favorite. I live on the Chesapeake Bay. My most favorite part is like the amazing bird life that I can see through my window and the amazing sunrises. My least favorite part are the bird murderers for the six weeks of duck hunting season. And they like to murder birds at like 6 a.m. I think that's when they turn on the guns or something. And so I wake up to friggin' gunshots. So I'm like in a panic for the whole fucking day. Sorry, that, swearing. That would, I get mad about the duck would, killing. That would kill me. I mean, it's that's, awful. oh my God, I can't imagine dealing with that. It's a plus, like, why do you want to kill a duck? Yeah. They seem nice enough. What did a duck ever do to you? My son and I like to go and uh, see the ducks every week. So uh, we, we go and look at fountains and see the ducks and we feed the ducks duck food that is, you know, not bread. because Not bread because you know, that blows up their tummies. That's does. also not good for the ducks. Yeah. 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 So I love ducks and I love not hearing them being murdered at 6 a.m. So I am prepared for duck hunting season. Wabbit season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, thanks you guys. We have loved seeing all of your comments. You can comment over on Substack. Tell us your favorite thing about being autistic. Tell us your favorite D&D character that you have played. Uh, we want to hear from you. Also in your favorite um, podcast app, wherever you're listening, be sure to take the time to rate and review the show. We ask you this because it helps other people find it. Matt and I hate being told what to do. So don't do it because I'm asking. Do it because you care about someone else hearing that as part of autistic culture, they are valid and validated. Make the world a more beautiful place with a rating and a review.
Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Special thanks to our content manager, River Robbins, and Aaron Stoner, our producer for making us look and sound good. Thank you.